just invite you to just commune with God for a moment. Maybe you've never come into a real and meaningful relationship with Him. Never, maybe you've never experienced the true grace of forgiveness. Maybe you've never really made a commitment to Him, to give Him all of your life, to trust Him, to be completely dependent upon Him for your salvation, for the life that He's given you. I invite you to simply listen and respond as He calls to you today. Father, thank You for this time. Speak to us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. The title of our sermon today is Behind the Palm. And you may recognize this as some semblance of a palm. And it's interesting that that symbol is used. As a matter of fact, it's a very biblical symbol. It's first found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 24, when God instituted the what the Jews would call the Feast of Tabernacles, or sometimes the Feast of Booths. It was used, uh, little makeshift huts, when they were uh, leaving Egypt. And it was to remind them that God is the provider. He was the one that provided the salvation to their forefathers, and He would be the one that would provide the salvation in that day and in the future. And so they were to use um, palm leaves and palm trees uh, to build those tabernacles, those booths. Also, later on, we see in the book of Second Kings that when Jehu was pronounced the king of Israel, he, uh, they would la- literally they put down their cloths and palm branches for Jehu's as he rode in on his horse for him to walk on. It was a picture and a symbol of the king and one who had been anointed and recognized as king. And then as we go even further, uh, we'll see right here today, and as we read the passage earlier, as Tommy read, that as Jesus was coming in on a donkey, what did the people do? They, they waved their palm branches and they put their clothing upon the road as he entered in triumphantly as many looked at him as the Messiah, as the king. And then in Revelation chapter 7, again, we see where they are waving the palm branches for the Lamb of God. Interesting. What's behind the palm? I've given you a little history about it. And it kind of reminds me of my when I was at my last church, when I came to my last church, they have a huge... Uh, uh, Christmas festival. It's called the Dallas Christmas Festival, and literally they'll have five or six thousand people there about twelve or thirteen times, twelve or thirteen performances. And I didn't know anything about all that stuff. So my first year there, I said, you know, I think I want to just find out what they're doing back there. And I asked somebody, and they said, well, why don't you just come do something? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of things I can do, but they said, well, you can be a Roman soldier, which meant that I didn't say anything. I just ran around in a and a maroon skirt and a fake helmet, uh, and just kind of ran around on stage every once in a while. And that's all I really did. <clears throat> but the really interesting thing for me was what was going on in the back. Like, how did they get these angels to fly? I mean, like real people flying around up in the air, and uh, they had camels come in, all these things. I just wanted to know how in the world does all that happen. And it was really interesting for me. And it was really fascinating to kind of get behind the scenes. Well, let me tell you what's going on behind the scenes here. We know that Jesus is coming in, 
And we know that Jesus uh, is the Messiah, but the people that day still have some questions. There's not a modern newspaper or radio station or television. They've certainly heard of Jesus, but the Bible tells us that the people are stirred and they're asking who this is because Jesus is coming in on a donkey. Now, we know that that's the fulfillment of a prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. And literally, it's quoted that he would come in riding a donkey. But you see, there were two ways that kings could come in at this point. One was they could come on a horse. And that was a symbol of militaristic strength. Matter of fact, if a king rode out or a leader rode out to another opposing army uh, on a horse, it was a symbol that, hey... We're willing to defend ourselves. We're willing to encounter you if necessary. But if the king or the leader of that country rode on a donkey, it was a symbol of peace that we don't want any war. We don't want any fight. And you'd usually do it for two reasons. Number one, you would do it because you thought that enemy will literally wipe us out and we don't want to mess with him. We don't want to fight. So it would be a measure of peace. It would be a symbol of peace. Now, another reason you might do it is simply because your country is not one that seeks war. You, you are a peaceful nation, and you're not either prepared for war, or you simply just don't want to engage in war. And you'll do anything to avert that if possible. And so that picture of someone coming in on a donkey, a leader, a king coming on a donkey, is one of peace. Now, they were expecting, most of the Jews of this time, someone who would come in and relieve them of the Roman Empire who was over them at that time. But Jesus comes on a donkey, and then we see the second thing that Jesus does. We hear the praises, but then we see this. We see that Jesus comes in, and he begins to so-called cleanse the temple. You see, the... The Jews were hoping for someone who would come in militaristically and ride in on a white horse, so to speak, because even in their very temple there, the Romans had forced them to build a tower in which they could look over and see all the things that were going on during the Jewish festivals and any other times in the temple. Also, they had taken the priest's robes and they hung them up in that tower and they were only allowed to take them out for certain special occasions. So the Jews were hoping, hey, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come in, he's going to get rid of the Roman Empire. He'll cleanse the temple of all these pagan Romans who are on the outskirts. We'll be able to, our priest will be able to wear their robes all the time. And they were expecting that, but in fact, what did Jesus do? The Bible tells us that he came and he began to cleanse the temple there, and he didn't even address the Romans. Why? Because those who were in authority were basically extorting and taking the money of those who would come to make sacrifices on this perfect holy day. Matter of fact, the Day of Atonement, the most important day for the Jewish nation. And this was the day on this Sunday that they were to choose the animal of which they would sacrifice. And so when they'd get, when they'd get there, many had traveled many, many miles and they would simply purchase one. Not only that, they had to, to exchange their currency to Jewish currency because some of the Roman uh, money had the emperor on it, and it looked like a pagan. Matter of fact, uh, and some of them, some of the emperors thought of themselves as a deity, and it would even reflect that on some of the coinage. So they wouldn't yell and use that coin, so they would charge them to transfer it over, and then they would charge them more than was expected for the animal. 
And you know where they were doing it? They were doing it in the courts of the Gentiles. The area for those who were not Jewish, who were maybe for some reason had been drawn by Yahweh or married into the family or whatever the case, they had to stay on the outer courts of the Gentiles. Well, instead of it being a place for worship, they were selling animals there. They were supposed to be in the Kidron Valley. Matter of fact, those were the instructions they had received before. But they thought, you know, it's a lot easier to just have it right here in the temple. People can't really go anywhere. We kind of got them. It'll just be more easy. It's more profitable. So what does Jesus do? He comes and he starts throwing tables around and cleansing, so to speak. Why? Because they were making a mockery of his temple. They were making a mockery of his house, and he uses those very words. My house is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. My house is to be a house of prayer. It is a place not just where we come and pray, but where you come and you encounter God in an intimate way, where you come and you give your utmost in worship. It is a place where if anybody looked, there were only a couple places where you could view into the temple, but what they would see would be the corpse of the Gentiles. And you know what they would see? They would see the buying and selling and the trading. It would be the equivalency today, and this is a, not a good, actually, analogy, but it would be like if we had food out and we charged triple or four times the amount of the food and you had not eaten anything for days or you had come on a long journey and you had not come fully prepared and then we take advantage of that. That was the picture of what was happening. It was happening primarily to those who were poor. So there's the picture. And Jesus establishes and lets us know from Isaiah that he would be the one who would come and cleanse the temple. So he's come as, as an instrument of peace, as a king of peace, and he's come to cleanse the temple. It's a great word and it's a great picture that we see here, what Jesus has done because he uses also these words, further distinguishing himself as the Messiah and actually as God because he says this, it is written, my house, and he's quoting, of course, but he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. My house. It is not your house. It is not for you to profit from. It is a place of worship. You know, this Sunday is called Holy Sunday by some, and this is... Next week is Holy Week, coming up to the what we would call the most celebrated time of the Christian faith, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Now, if that's really true, what is it that we do to prepare for this time? What is it that we do to make this time any more special other than maybe we come an hour early and we go home and we eat? What is it that you do to make this time special? I've got a challenge for you. I've got a challenge for you here. I want to challenge you to prayer this week. As Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. We know that today that the body of Christ, the believers, are the temple of Christ. And what he's saying there is not necessarily you need to go to a lot of prayer meetings at your church. That wasn't the picture he was painting. The picture he's painting is that the body of Christ should be intimately involved in prayer. And the church should do nothing but perpetuate that spirit. Here's my challenge to you. I want to challenge you for this week to pray an hour a day. You can't do an hour, 45 minutes. You can't do 45 minutes, 30 minutes. And you may sit sit here and go, well, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. But we are doing it in order for God 
to fall upon us and for us to experience God in a way this Easter that maybe we've not before. We are looking for God to bring about transformation in our lives. And can I tell you that it won't come without prayer? That is as silly as to think that if you have a relationship with someone, whether it be a spouse or a child, you know, if I don't talk to them, I'm sure things will be good. I can pretty much tell you they won't be good if you don't communicate. And you can't expect anything to change in relationships without communication. And spiritually, once we know Christ, we can expect our relationship not to grow if we don't make prayer an intimate part of our lives. So that's my challenge to you for Holy Week. If this is really to be the most important day of the Christian calendar and of our faith, then I think it deserves a response from the believer, from those who call themselves Christians, from those who call themselves the body of Christ. So my challenge to you today is would you be willing to consider praying an hour a day or 45 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day? And I want to encourage you to do this. And this is for you. If you want to turn it in, you're welcome to, or you can take it home. There's a little tear-off. If you'll pull out your bulletin, you'll see there's a commitment you can make to pray. And you can either tear that off and take it home and put it up somewhere. And I would encourage you this. You can, you can do that by getting up earlier, by going to bed later, by skipping lunch. But there's time. The question is, will we? And you make it at the level you're willing to commit to for one week. That's a picture of being the house of prayer, of being a house that is experiencing God, that is worshiping God. We can't say we worship unless we pray. I want you to prepare your hearts for a time of communion as we receive symbolically of the body of Christ, as we receive of the bread. And if you would, just prepare your heart. And and let's just take a moment of prayer in your own heart. And maybe this is a time where you commit and say, God... This day, I commit for this week to pray for this length of time each day. I commit my lunchtime, or I commit my break time, or I commit my evening time. I give up television, whatever it is. I give up radio to pray. I have an hour commute to work. I will devote that time to prayer or an hour commute back. Whatever it is, whatever God leads you to do, whatever you're willing to do, I ask that you make that commitment in your heart right now. As we continue this passage here, we see after Jesus has cleansed the temple, after He has made the pronouncement that His house is to be called a house of prayer, His people to be called people of prayer, we see then in verse 14, the blind and the lame came to Him at the temple and He healed them. The blind and the lame came and He healed them. Why is that significant? Well, because in Isaiah 53, it's prophesied. And not only that, we see in John, when John was in prison, and John was wondering, is Jesus really the Messiah in that time of doubt? You remember what Jesus says to him? Go back and tell John this. Tell him that I've made the blind to see and the lame to walk. It's interesting. Jesus always has the physical and the spiritual tied together. The miracles were simply, hey, these are proof of who I am. It's fulfillment of the prophecy. And it lets you know that you can believe and you can trust. You can rest assured that I am the Messiah. I am 
the Savior. You know, it's also interesting uh, about the Jewish faith is uh, before Jesus ever came, there was a book called the Book of Sanhedrin. Matter of fact, that's what the Jewish council, the ruling party, were called, the Sanhedrin. And it was interesting. This is not a biblical text, so we don't look at it from an inspired, uh, inspired or recognized version in any manner. But it said this. It said that if the people of Israel were deemed worthy, then the Messiah would come riding on a horse. But if they were found unworthy, undeserving, then they would come, he would, the Messiah would come on a donkey. Now, that's a Jewish source. One that refutes Christianity, one that refutes Christ being the Messiah. But of course, we know that we are all undeserving. And Christ came upon a donkey, offering us peace. Peace before God Almighty. Peace in a right relationship before Him. Then we see the cleansing of the temple. Then we see the healing. We see the power of God. Probably His most public performance of a miracle here before the people in the temple at the busiest time of the year. He's healing people in the temple so that those of the religious authority would have no doubt. Look, not only do I have the authority to cleanse the temple, not only have I come in riding on a donkey, I am going to heal people. No one else can do that. Only the Messiah. It's a miracle that only the Messiah could do. And so He heals in front of them where it cannot be disclaimed. There are many who see these miracles. Today, Christ is still healing. He transforms lives. Last week, it was interesting. It was kind of like a miracle that I was watching when we watched the baptism video of those who've been baptized the last two months. And as we were watching those, I'll never forget, I focused in on three people. If you'll recall, there was a guy, there were a couple of guys that got in the baptistry with another guy. And one of those guys that did the baptism was one of our assistant pastors, Rob Reed. And Rob shared his story of how he was addicted to drugs. But what you might not know is the guy he was baptizing just a couple of months ago, just a couple of months ago, accepted Christ and had been a drug addict for over 20 years. So here's one drug addict who had been addicted to drugs for 12, 13 years, who had been in and out of seven treatment centers. Here's another guy who served time in jail and has been addicted to drugs for a very long time. Both experienced the grace of Christ, one baptizing the other to a new way of life. And then what you might not have noticed, too, is in the back, that guy that was being baptized was his brother, Floyd, who also had served time for seven years in prison for selling drugs and doing drugs. So here's three men totally having their lives changed. There was a point when they felt there was no hope, there was no life, there was no change. But God Almighty, in His infinite grace and power of transformation, transformed their lives when they called out. When they said, God, I give up everything. I cannot do this on my own. God, I give it to You. I'm totally trusting You to save me and to walk me through this process. I believe and I give You my life. Hey, let me tell you, that's where we all come to the place. We either come to that place or we don't really know Him. We come to that place where we say, God Almighty, 
I need you and I need your forgiveness. And I recognize I can only be transformed by the power of your blood. Save me. Have you done that? I invite you to today. We're going to receive of the cup of the new covenant. This cup that symbolizes the grace, the blood of Christ, that when God Almighty looks upon us, He sees us as clean. If we did drugs, they're completely ruined. He doesn't know it because He's cleansed us by the blood of Christ. Because there can be no forgiveness of sin without the sacrifice. That's what the Jews were doing here this day. They had come for this day to pick out their sacrifice on this Sunday. And now He was being given to them for all who would receive. As you receive of the cup, first of all, give thanks for the power of the blood that forgives our sins. If you've not received it, I invite you this day to receive forgiveness and receive salvation of grace, the grace of God through the power of His blood. The power of the blood, the power of transformation. I want to give you another challenge. You may like the prayer challenge a little bit better than this one. Uh, we have some wristbands. I think I've told you about it before. They're out there uh, at the welcome desk. And I want to ask you to prayerfully consider drinking only water for your beverage this week. I don't know. That's really, really hard for some folks. And then even if you want to take it a step further, take that whatever money you would have spent on beverages and donate that to our clean water fund as we uh, seek to continue to put up wells in desolate areas of Africa that don't have water. But I challenge you to do that for a couple of reasons. The primary one is this. It's a time to starve our flesh and feed our spirit. As we pray and as we give of our time to seek God, also as we give of the elements and of the provisions that He's given to make us hone in and even focus more on the sacrifice that Christ made as He gave His blood, as He gave His very life. So challenge to you is to ask God to help you. And I know for many of you, this will be a small miracle if you could do it. But I challenge you to do both. Maybe you can't do both. Maybe you have to have to do one. But I, I, a challenge for those who are willing this holy week to dedicate the money that you had there to a cause that will bring life to others physically and spiritual life for you as you take that time to focus in on the person of Jesus Christ, as you take that time to pray for our church, for your family, for those in your neighborhood, for God's Spirit to be upon us. That's a challenge to you. Jesus certainly challenged those of his time, as the chief priests were upset in verse 15, they said, But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, the healings, the cleansing of the temple, the riding of the donkey, and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna, which means to save us, but even more, it means to praise to the Messiah to the Son of God. Hosanna to the Son of David. That, that picture there of what they would call the Messiah. They were indignant and they said to Him, they say this to Jesus, Do you hear what the children are saying? They ask Him. And He gives initially a one-word answer. 
Do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, praise you. They're saying, you are the Messiah. They're saying that you are the one that God has sent. And they're doing it right here in the temple. They're recognizing you as the king. Do you hear what they're saying? You know what Jesus says? Yes. Yes, I hear them. Yes, I receive it. Yes, I am. And then Jesus replied to them, Have you never read? He quotes Psalms 8-2. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. From the lips of infants and children, you have ordained praise. You know, the primary purpose that we're here once we receive Christ is to bring praise to God. And as people see authentic praise, and it's not just what we do in church, it's what we do in everyday life. But when people see that our praise of God is real, let me tell you, it is attractive. It is drawing. It is convicting. And here are children who we're, you know, pretty much sure that they don't understand all the implications. All they know is that all their life they've heard this expression. But when the Messiah comes... It will be different. When the Messiah comes, we will be delivered. When the Messiah comes, we will really experience life. The Messiah is coming. Hosanna! It's the Son of David. It's the King of Kings. He is the one that we have heard about. He's the one that y'all have told us about. They believed in the purity of their hearts. Why? He did the miracles. He spoke as none had ever spoken. And there was something different about Him. Surely He must be the Messiah. But many were blinded because they had their own system. And they wanted God to come on their terms in their way. But in fact, He didn't come to get rid of the Romans. He came to deconstruct what they had made the faith and to reconstruct. The Day of Atonement. He would become the sacrifice once and for all. For all who would believe and transfer their trust from anything that they could do to what Jesus Christ would do on the cross. And then believe that three days later He rose again and experienced that grace and forgiveness. Life would be given. It's a reason to give praise. It's the reason that we celebrate this time. Because Jesus came on this triumphal Sunday. The day that a sacrifice was to be chosen, then He gave of Himself as that sacrifice. He was crucified and buried. But on Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, He rose. And that's why we celebrate this time. Here's my third challenge to you. Share the good news of Jesus with someone this week. Share the story of how Jesus came and lived and died and that by grace... Because of what He did, we can have forgiveness. Share that message this week. I ask you to strongly consider sharing that message. You're saying, yes, you are asking a whole lot. Hey, I'm asking a lot from a God who gave a lot. So I want to challenge you to do at least one, and hopefully even all three, as we take this week and we really make it a holy week. 
let's see what God will do as we begin to pray as a body. As we begin to say, God, I will devote this time and my energies to hearing from you and letting you use me. I will open myself up. And God, I know there's somebody in my life that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And I will share it. That's my challenge to you this day.